7 o'clock. Do you know where your freedom is? Welcome back, or welcome, to another episode of the Psychosemantic Podcast. I am Darren, as always, and with me is my dear friend, Vanessa. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right. Thanks. Now, um, just to get it out of the way and get it done and sorted, uh, I understand you have a podcast. Is that true? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I do, and maybe you're on it with me, but <laughs> perhaps maybe maybe you're my co-host. But <laughs> maybe, yes. maybe could could you tell us a little bit about that? Because I have I got a I don't know if it's all of these nineteen uh, nineties and later documentaries about horror people, but my brain's a little mushy. Um, what what is the VD Clinic podcast? And where, where can people find it? Well, the I need VD, to find my way back. Yes. Well, the VD Clinic podcast, um, it, it is not, uh, contrary to the name, it is not about STIs. And um, <laughs> it is, um, yes, it is. Uh, it's about movies and books. Um, although, I will say with the pandemic, we haven't been doing as much reading as usual. But usually have common theme and um our last one was you know for pride was we did a, a we covered a it was pride of chucky where we covered bride of chucky and seed of chucky and we looked at all from a queer and trans kind of aspects and just and also just the fun yeah horror aspects of those films cool so I think I need to check that show out. I suggest others do as well. Yeah, we just uh, celebrated four years in May. Awesome. Yeah. Um, Thank you for reminding me. Um, And we are also on Legion Podcast, so. uh, Also. That is, yes, also on Legion Podcast. I don't know why I was having such trouble remembering, except for I needed to make up something to have you say that. We're kind of talking about the Olympics and horrible people and catastrophes revolving around the Olympics and youth athletes and lots of other common threads. But we are 
using I, Tanya, the 2017 bio-black comedy uh, about the Tanya Harding story uh, starring Margot Robbie. I am a fan of hers and seems like she's a pretty rad person. So, yeah, it's kind of a mockumentary, uh, somewhat true, you know, like lots of mockumentaries, documentaries. There's some truth to it. But, of course, one thing that I did like about this movie uh, is occasionally characters will break through and say, you know, that's total bullshit. I didn't do that or he didn't do that. or mm-hmm. So there are some refutations during the story which allow it some artistic license uh, that they definitely well, take. Yes. And well, and, and also with you talking about the cast, you cannot forget to mention Allison Janney and her Oscar winning performance as Tanya Harding's mother. Um, but yes, they break the fourth wall and they make it clear in even the way that they, their little title card that they have before anything really starts saying that this, this is kind of an I ironic and totally true and mixed up kind of sense of the truth. And it's told in a Rashomon kind of way of everybody has their own truth, even if they're all involved in the same situation. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, I like that. You know, you're still going to see it kind of through your own eyes and, you know, for various reasons. And, um, and even in the uh, ABC, uh, well, after this came out, ABC News did an hour and a, well, hour and a half, I guess, probably with commercials, it was two hours, but um, a, um, and it's streaming on Hulu right now. The It's called The Truth and Lies, the Tanya Harding story. And it's largely, you know, it's interviews with the various people, but it's large, it concentrates primarily interviewing Tanya Harding. And they do talk to Margot Robbie, and it, and she says that in her research for this movie, I, Tanya, she was going, she was just combing over all this information, and she finally at one point was like, fuck it, about what the truth actually is. Um, because she realized everybody did have their own point of view of what the truth was. And that sometimes it's sometimes those gray areas that that we do have to figure out. And, and, and I appreciate that when they were doing this movie, yeah, they were completely honest about the truth lies somewhere in all of this, you know, it's just somewhere. And it's not called Tanya. It's called I Tanya. So it said it, it is very upfront about it mostly being her perspective and from the documentaries and played in the, the movie, it kind of seemed like whether, I mean, there's various levels of truth to it. Tanya Harding seemed to be a, every achievement I had was because of me and every bad thing that happened to me was kind of someone else's fault. Well, and she has done that in the past and, you know, not the best. But I I, I will say to her credit, considering, I mean, when you do know 
the level of uh, abuse that she grew up with. And married into. And then that she married. And that she married into. I mean, she was dealing at least with very psychologically and emotionally abusive situations. And they were physically abusive to a certain degree. Um, How much, you know, has been debated. Again, that's depending on who you talk to. But with... Like... um, but with the with her mother, for instance, and they do show the scene in the in in I Tanya, and when they there was a documentary crew like following Tanya Harding around like as a teenager in the eighties, um, the documentary is called Sharp Edges, and um, the documentarians did witness the mother beating Tanya. Uh, because she didn't land a jump right or something, you know, and, and Tanya, you know, said like, oh no, this was a regular basis kind of thing, but her mom kind of like, I did it once. And then later on, if you, if you watch the ABC news thing, she does contradict herself and say, well, spankings, spankings. Well, uh, what are you defining as a spanking? You know what I mean? Maybe yeah. she did it only once with a hairbrush. You know, but people that are usually grabbing a hairbrush and doing that kind of thing, they're not doing that only once. Yeah. The vast majority of cases like that. I mean, it's... Especially if you can take into the consideration of, you know, she's... It was a... It, it was a widely known fact that she was verbally and emotionally abusive to Tanya. Uh, So, you know, given that kind of, I think, mental stress kind of situation, and then again, like we said, with what she married, which was more of the same, um, dealing with that, I think, definitely affected her skating at times where she couldn't concentrate and everything. I mean, there's no denying that She's an amazing athlete. That's one reason why I have always liked her. Um, and I, I actually have been one of those people who watch, grew up, have grown up watching. And I still watch Olympics to some degree. Um, even when I know they're problematic at times for various reasons. And we'll discuss more later, I'm sure. But... Um, you know, I, I remember very much Tanya Harding and part of what was so great about watching her was she wasn't this typical image of the petite, prissy ballerina style of skater. She was like hair metal outlaw country kind of skater. She was a rebel she was into more modern music. And you have since started to see a change in that because of her, I think. But she's a fucking athletic skater. Her body, and you know, was definitely more. And her coaches definitely did, like, the finishing school kind of version of, and, like, tried to... And, and she fought that with judges where they didn't want to score her certain ways because she didn't fit this image, which 
I think it's bullshit. I mean, if you can land a triple axle or whatever other moves, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm saying you got to be given some credit. And it's kind of like, I think, certain judges scoring Simone Biles lower because no one else can do these moves. You know what I mean? And then at this point, like Simone Biles is fucking forget it. I'm doing these moves because I can, I'm proving to myself I can. You know, yes, I'd like these nice, pretty scores, but, and she's proud of whatever she gets, but she's also kind of embracing, like, no, fuck you. Like, <laughs> just, and so when I, Tanya, you know, they, going back to that, I mean, there have been only six women since Tanya Harding who have been able to do a triple axel. Okay, I'm sorry. That that should be that should tell you something. Yeah. It's uh I didn't watch a lot of figure skating. My sister did. So mm-hmm. by proxy, or not by proxy, but like she put on a lot of figure skating, so that's how I saw most of it in my life. I was watching when Nancy Kerrigan was attacked. Yeah, I, well, right, and I remember that. And, I mean, and Nancy Kerrigan was a very good skater, too, but her style was very different, much more traditional. She played much more into this image. And while she wasn't from a wealthy family, she wasn't what... She was f- the finished image, and she was the good girl image... It, it basically, it, and it kind of goes to the, the I, Tanya kind of, uh, what was it? The, the line that was on the poster of, you don't have to have, what is it? There's no need, there's no need to have class when you have talent. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I mean, that's the tagline for it. And it's, and yeah, that you do get some of these sports like that and And even in gymnastics, too, you've had some of it. Um, That's not to say you can't be graceful and still incredibly athletic. But if you don't fit this certain specific image of what traditional thing, too, is. um, And and I've seen it with other skaters like... um, so what was her name? Sonia. The last name starts with a B, but she's French, French skater. I, I, and she's black. Okay. So with her, she did have the classier, whatever polished, more polished routines and, and stuff. But she had the more athletic, the more athleticism of Tanya Harding. And there was a very much a racial bias with judges you would see. And you could see the way she was trying to fight it. And, you know, it was kind of, it was just like, I remember thinking at the time, like, this is bullshit. Cause you could see some of the scores and I'm like, I know I'm not taking skating. So I can't sit there and tell you ABC, you know, like I'll go technical little nitpick type items, but you know, they'd be like, Oh no, we're going to, 
you would hear it in the commentary of how they discussed her. Pro- you know, they're like, well, if maybe it just been, you know, whatever. And it was just like this kind of coded racism. So yeah, it had, and, and you've seen that with the gymnasts too. And that is, I mean, I'm glad to see it's started to change where you've started to see more of these athletes of color in these being accepted in these sports that have been so disproportionately white or the winners at least have been disproportionately white um, because of judge bias too. Yeah. Was the skater you were thinking of Surya Bonali? Or bon- uh, so, uh, Bonali, Bonali? Is her, Bonali is how her last name was said. Her first yeah. name is spelled S-U-R-Y-A. Yeah, I think it was I, I think it was Surya. It, it was yeah, it was kind of more like pronounced like Sonya, but it was Surya. It, it was an R. Yeah, lots um, but of Bonali, medals. There's. Uh... I mean, she did get medals. Don't get me wrong, but you could see the struggle and the commentary was distinctly different the way they spoke about her. Uh, there's some quotes for her addressing that with the BBC and with the root. But, but back to I, Tanya, I mean, like, and then when you had the, the Olympics where the, the Lily hammer, uh, Lily hammer Olympics, you know, where Nancy Kerrigan ends up getting in there and everybody is like post attack. You know, they're, they're like, oh, we, you know, she's going to win the gold. She's the best, blah, blah, blah. Well, meanwhile, Oksana Bayul goes in a second in the world, like goes into that final round that way. And again, I had been, and Katarina Vitt had been uh, doing well too. Um, but so to see the, I, and I had, watched figure skating outside the Olympics. And when Nancy Kerrigan ends up getting the silver and Oksana Bahayul wins the gold, the media captures, you know, and what they don't show in I, Tanya, which they don't need to because this movie is, is a Tanya Harding movie, okay? But they do touch on, oh, you know, she's like, yeah, if you see Nancy's reaction up on the podium, she looks like she stepped in poop. I mean, when she says that, which, you know, it's, if I, I understand if you're disappointed with your medal, but at that moment, and you, you keep your shit together, right? And, or just, you don't say anything, but the media caught Nancy Kerrigan before she got up to go on to the podium because Oksana Bayul had started crying and found that she won the gold. And so she was fixing her makeup or something. And the media caught Nancy Kerrigan saying, what? She's just going to cry off all her makeup again. And it made her seem like a little nasty, ungrateful bitch. And so you, it does show, I'm not saying that to make Nancy Kerrigan look like such a bad guy. I mean, she's human. She, we all are, right? She's um, oh, she's no oh, fuck who did who were we talking about you really not liking in the last VD clinic episode. Catherine 
Heigl. Heigl. Yeah, she's no Catherine Heigl. <laughs> but it's just the fact of the way the media is in these athletes' faces, and they have to be so conscious of what they're saying in a certain space at a certain time. And and I know that's hard. I I I can't I can't imagine. I mean, you you obviously. You can't help but get emotional, especially if you're like, I'm disappointed I didn't get the gold. But even though, I mean, come on, Silver is still fantastic. She wasn't going to lose her endorsement deals over Silver, especially when she was the top U.S. Olympian in that sport that year. And she had all of that goodwill from the public. But I do remember at the time... There was a there was a little bit of the media that was like, oh, what's this, you know? And people really trying to like whatever. But there was also the media had built her into such this picture perfect image and pitted her as like such the perfect angel and pitted her against Nan. I mean Tanya Harding and Tanya Harding as such the nasty criminal where. Tanya, sure, she did some maybe not so great things, but she wasn't, isn't a completely horrible person like a lot of people made her out to be. I mean, because I'll say that at the end of the day, I mean, I really don't think that she was saying, go take out Nancy Harrigan. I don't think that happened. Um, I don't think at all that happened. She seems like, at least the way she talks about herself, she seems like the type of person that wanted to wants to beat somebody fair and square. They they could make some questionable choices in their life, but she, I, I don't know if the um the court scene, I don't know if that was uh, from the dictation or if that was written for the movie. But right. especially like at the court scene where she's getting spoiler alert from 40, 30 years ago, uh, <laughs> when yeah, she's from 30 years ago, when she's getting banned uh, from competitive for skating for life. Yeah, for life. Uh, and she's like, just I'd rather have the jail time. This is like. Like, that's less of a blow than jail time. And she's really, in the end, punished more than the people who actually carried it out. Right? I forget Which, what happened. I What, Jeff Galuli, played by Sebastian Stan in this movie. I totally didn't really know who he was when I yeah. first saw this. Yeah. But I, I don't know. Well, you don't watch these things, but he is the Winter Soldier in the Marvel Universe. Well, I mean, I did look on up on IMDb what else he had been in. And, I mean, yeah, he's a, I mean, I think they put uh, dark colored contacts in for this movie. Since I think he's got blue eyes, naturally. So, I mean, that that makes a difference. And obviously he doesn't have that skeevy Jeff Galooly mustache. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I wanted, since we were back on Jeff Galuli, I know we were talking about people saying this is, you know, the Rashomon effect of this story. 
Right. Stu- uh, there are some things like Jeff Galuli constantly denying that he was really that abusive. Yeah. But stuff that is factually confirmed indicate well, that he's an abusive person. The amount of times that the cops were called to their place and here she is bloodied up and everything. And she's admitted, I fought back, you know, but she's like, I was protecting myself. And, you know, and she admits I would scream and she's like, this is what I grew up with. This is how I, this is what I knew from how I lived growing up, you know, the screaming and yelling and, and that kind of thing. I mean, it, Tanya admits that she wasn't an angel. I mean, she's never denied that. But Jeff Galuli trying to say, oh, no, that blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, there it's been very much documented with police departments. Like in the, all these instances where the cops were called you were hauled away because of a domestic battery kind of thing. You were restraining order because of it. Like, I'm sorry. It, yeah. You know, you can't even try to like say, Oh, I'm, I'm such a nice guy. Fuck you. I, I really, I don't have sympathy for him at all. I mean, he really strikes me as someone who is very opportunistic and trying to get her money. He saw her as a cash cow. He really saw her as a cash cow. The angling himself at, you know, husband manager. Yeah. And also, how much older was he again when, when, um, I mean, she was 15 when they met. Yeah, she um, was 15 and he was 18. Okay. I was thinking he was older, but, um, older. And like I said, I was thinking it was a bigger age gap than that. But, I mean, this is essentially like, the first guy that, you know, she fell in love with or that she, you know, that really gave her attention. And that's who she ends up falling in love with and marrying, you know, and she really, it's like, okay, it's partly because he has a car and I just want to get away from my mother. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, How a lot of shitty marriages start. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and unfortunately, people who've grown up in abusive home lives as, as children will do that. And then at least their first relationship afterwards, it's an abusive relationship as well. But I mean, in the, in the end, and what Tanya Harding does admit in that ABC News, um, special that aired after I, Tanya, she does admit that a month or so prior to the incident with Nancy Kerrigan getting hit, that she kind of overheard Jeff Galuli and fuck his face. What's his name? Oh, Sean. Sean Eckert or Eck- Sean Eckert, the, pseudo bodyguard who thought he uh, was I'm a well known international counterterrorism, counter-terrorism guy all Talked this about bullshit it in a travel magazine yeah it can't it couldn't even think of a travel magazine but um you know 
she's like, I kind of overheard. Maybe some we should take out someone so she gets you know guaranteed a place on the Olympic team. And she's like, she said, I said to them, shut the fuck up. I'm good enough. I can do this on my own. So she was determined to push herself, you know, to and but still considering all of what of a mental shit show she was dealing with, I, you know, I don't know how she could have fully concentrated even training 24/7. I, I really don't know anyone who would have been able to do well in that environment. I mean, let's face it, the pressure put on these athletes is immense. Even when you're not talking Olympics, but, you know, what the U.S. Olympic kind of organization will do, I don't know, it's just a whole other level of kind of intensity. We're seeing some of this at the tail end of the Tanya Harding thing that's kind of mm-hmm. leading us into Larry Nasser and the U.S. gymnastics team and Michigan State University stuff. Ugh. Yeah. And uh, before we go down that road, I don't know mm-hmm. if there's anything else that we wanted to say about Itanya. I, I noticed this time around that OJ, the OJ scandal was developing mm-hmm. when the movie was kind of ending, uh, sort of looking at the, uh, I, I guess, the way public scandals sort of work uh you know that's when tanya harding kind of disappeared until i I, at least in my mind i mean there were random corny jokes and then she was on celebrity boxing which they do i don't know if they talk about celebrity boxing on the show but she said she became an amateur boxer i didn't know that she did any boxing other than the celebrity boxing match oh no she did I remember that actually. Um, I remembered hearing some of that, and I think maybe I don't know which came first—just the amateur boxing or the celebrity boxing. Um, it might have been like okay, they did they set it up as some of these like celebrity boxing matches, and then she started amateur boxing. I mean, honestly, that would make sense to me. Yeah, like she trained for the celebrity boxing thing. It was like, okay. I can do this. I'm going to do this. I mean, these are against people who aren't trained. Let Put me up against someone who is a real athlete. Because at the end of the day, she is a real fucking athlete. I mean, she's like, what, 5'3"? Um, so she's not tall, but... She's you know, got that core that can help her do the triple whatever. The triple axle. She's a she's powerhouse, and even you know now. I mean, she's like since whatever that ABC thing came out in 2018. Um, she's like, no, I want to be able to do the triple axle again. I mean, she's even as she's you know middle aged. She's like, I want to give back to that condition because I want because I can I can. I want to prove to myself I can. I mean, she's got that Simone, again, that Simone Biles mentality of, 
I'm going to push myself to see what I can do. I believe in my ability and I want to, you know what I mean? And, and just, I believe in my athleticism and I'm not doing this for anyone else at this point. I'm doing it for me. And that's really what it should be about to some extent. Um, yeah, it's nice to get the medals and whatever perfect scores and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, I think there needs to be a sense of self-satisfaction. And because otherwise, really, what are you doing it for? And and you do, you, we are finally seeing more athletes speak out about mental health. You know, the latest Naomi, uh, what what's her name? Oh, the Okasawa. Okasawa, yeah. Who just, I mean, current Time Magazine cover, and the story is, it's okay not to be okay. That you know was, what I mean? We're, yeah. Thank we're you for she, sending me that. I hadn't, I hadn't seen it until you sent it. Yeah. And I posted it in the, in the podcast, uh, Facebook group, the, um, the article about it. Um, it's, you know, she had to sit out the, the French, you know, open because she had to take mental health type, you know, time and for personal issues and, you know, Michael Phelps, I, I will say, has spoken out very publicly about it since uh, 2018. He, and now he's, I mean, come on, he's been, since he's become a spokesperson for the, um, the, the service better, I think better health or talk space or something, one of those two. And he, he's really become a major advocate about this. But he's, you know, spoke out because he was like, he had become very suicidal in like 2012 uh, at a point. And, and there were other, you know, over years, but at that point, it was like very hard for him. And so, you know, you have to show that these are people, you know, athletes are not just machines. And you're starting to see like, non-Olympians, but just professional athletes speak out more about um, mental health issues. Or, I mean, I know Ethan Thomas, of the, the former, uh, former NBA player, has been a big, um, you know, he's, he's very, been, very much been outspoken about his own struggles with mental health and, and other, you know, people in, in past years. And then where, I mean, as we're starting, as we are now starting to move, talking in about the U.S. gymnastics, like the Larry Nasser sex abuse kind of scandal and information about that started coming out. More of a conversation started coming out, too, about the mental, verbal, and sometimes physical abuse that these athletes do, that they are subjected to. Um, and really how it can create an unhealthy environment. Um, you know, the Caroli Ranch, for instance, for the, um, for the USA Gymnastics, putting, I understand you want to have, 
these athletes there so that they're focused on their training. I get that. But to have them so isolated and these are, these are girls. Okay. These are under age individuals. Okay. Where they cannot contact their families while they are there. Or their regular coaches. Or their regular coaches. Thank you for pointing that out. Or their regular coaches. While they're there, except for maybe like one day a week or something. Like, I don't even think there was that. Yeah, because I think the coach that overheard some girls talking was at that other, the dance stars or whatever. Yeah. Jim. So I think, yeah, Carolis, I think was just... Once a month, no contact with your parents or coaches. Yes, exactly. And so that really breeds this whole situation of it's a, it's free reign on any kind of abuse, not just the next, the Nasser kind of related. I mean, and he's unfortunately not the only one who has been guilty of sex abuse. Um, of, of gymnasts, but you know, it's just this, this kind of sense of isolation where, yeah, it's a free for all. We can, we can do whatever to you. And that just something like that. I mean, it's, I don't think that's healthy ultimately. I was just say when young girls are conditioned to deal with pain and suffering and that they shouldn't complain about it, in all aspects of their life, it's not going to end well when someone who likes to abuse that kind of power over someone enters the picture. Because that's that's like that's right. one of the first things I noticed about the doc- it's like you play hurt, you suck it up, you can't say that it's too hard, you can't say that you can't mm-hmm. do it, you can't say that you can't move on, and you can't complain, or you'll be replaced and told you're worthless piece of shit, and all this other fucked up stuff. And these, yeah. And these are not that physical size or anything has anything to do with abuse, but these are very small people. They're young and small. And well, especially gymnastics where, and again, this is the Carolis approach that started. You saw it when they were in Romania. And I remember being the little kid you know, in the 70s, watching the Olympics. And I remember watching Nadia Comaneci, you know, and all that stuff. I took some gymnastics classes. I, you know, I got out of it pretty quickly because I realized I didn't have the upper body strength for it. Um, That's a part of why I stuck to dance. <laughs> I, you know, I my legs very powerful and and that kind of thing but and you got it even though with with ballet for instance and I did play some sports later where yeah you run on that twisted ankle fuck that well you know what happened and or you you dance on point you know even though you fuck something up or you know and these athletes what they show in the the uh, out of the heart of gold uh, documentary about the U.S. Olympic scandal um, in, in Nasser, you you might have a, a you know a splinter you know a, a 
Oh, right. Oh, her leg. God. Like, just, I, I'm watching that, and I'm like, that's cringing. That's worse to me than, that's, and honestly, that's the only thing that gets me in any kind of horror movie, really. Compound is fractures that kind and of, stuff. Yes, because I've, I've never, I mean, knock on wood, I've never broken a bone, but I have had so many twists and sprains and all these other things where I've had doctors tell me, you were better off just breaking a bone. It would have healed faster. And it was also the fact that I was told, push through the pain, keep performing, you know, keep competing. And I mean, I got out, I mean, I ended up having to have ankle surgery by the time I was 16, you know, fucked me up for like, I, okay, I'm very limited now with what kind of physical activities I can do. Um, ever since then, you know, I certainly can't run now. Just, I mean, like I would even have a hard time if I had to run like just out of like, Oh, I'm trying to get out of like some sort of, you know, violent situation. Uh, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, because that kind of thing fucked me up and I was pushed when I was playing a sport and when I was pushed dancing, I mean, I, st my feet are permanently fucked up to some degree because of that. I can only imagine. I know that I hung I mean, out with a gymnast or that became a ballet dancer in high school. Mm -hmm. And uh, whenever uh, I would see her feet, I'd be like, holy shit. I, yeah, it's... And, and honestly, I have never met a former dancer or former gymnast who didn't have some sort of an issue as an adult. I have never met someone um, like that because there's so much that you're put through and especially as your body is going through puberty that you're, you're pushed in all these different ways that is kind of like, okay, the body, like it's very difficult. Like, you know, no, you're still being, you still got to make sure you can do those splits and things. And when you see someone that's, forcibly like practically sitting on you to get you into a split that that can do some damage and it's not to say that i mean because i have been to like a physical therapist for instance where or you know sometimes where it's yeah there are certain kinds of adjustments or uh, certain stretching that you do need assistance with but it's a done in a way that it can be done in a way that doesn't injure you. You know, that is actually genuinely therapeutic. There, I mean, not really, but kind of. There are the two schools of sport doctor. There's the get you better no matter how long it takes and the get you back out there as fast mm -hmm. as possible type. And, you know, some things here and there... Uh, uh, you know, especially when you get into adulthood, you know, like uh, I pretty much only watch hockey now. And right. some of the, a lot of this stuff is 
yeah, you're gashed up. Just stitch them up. They want to be back out on the ice. And there was uh, there was a player that right. collapsed on the ice a couple years ago. He had like a heart attack and mm-hmm. he didn't want to go to the hospital. He wanted to play the third period. And they're like, you're fucking going to the hospital. And that's still well, some of the I... stuff that's instilled in players in a negative way in their youth. Mm-hmm. But yeah. when you are a, an adult, it is a little different. Certainly. And and that's why I, I see so much. De- Not to say that coaches can't be plenty, plenty uh, verbally or emotionally or even physically, whatever, abusive when you are, you know, an, an, an adult. But the agency is totally different when you're talking about someone who's, who's underage. And, you know, the going back to the Nassar thing. And that fucking there, asshole Kathy Clegus. Oh, oh my goodness. There were, that is a whole situation where there were so many people who turned, who were complacent in the situation. And so many people that you wonder that how much did you know? Um, because there were people like her. Obviously, she was informed of something and there was a complaint brought. She just chose not to deal with it part, in part because it seems like she didn't want to deal with the paperwork. Well, I think the only adult she told about it was Nasser. Exactly. How was that beneficial? And just tell the abuser? Yeah. Well, like how Michigan State let him pick his panel of judges. And how is that there? That's like letting Harvey Weinstein say, okay, I want to have Bill Cosby. I'm going to have Jeffrey Epstein and Glenn Maxwell. And um, let's see, Keith Ranieri and Allison Mack. They can all be on my jury. (laughs) Jim Jordan. Speaking of, let's go down the list of people who have been involved in like sex abuse kind of situations like those are that's my jury of my peers and it's like go fuck yourself go fuck yourself i'm sorry i just it's so aggravating i mean i i knew i had seen that documentary before and i re watched it before this and i just you know got re-aggravated it was like ah yeah kathy and uh who was 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 she the same coach that uh Basically ignored uh, Amanda Thomas show, or and brought in all the other gymnasts, saying, "See, nothing happened to them." And then when the yeah. one gymnast said that it did, she basically said, "You're there's like you're oh, talking yeah, but- about with the if I file this paperwork, there's going to be big problems and consequences." But she made it out to be victim blaming because it. she's like, well, not just for Nasser, but for you. And she's pointing at the, the, the victim and the amount of gaslighting. Oh, my God. You just like, don't understand. It's medical. 
it's medical. Yeah, that's a totally normal thing. And like, what? You know, and and just how brazen Nasser was with his levels of abuse where some of it took place with an adult in the room, like the parent, he just knew, oh no, put them across the room, position, you know, the girl this way, keep talking as a distraction. Um, and all this grooming that had gone to it. And I don't think it was just grooming of the gymnast. It was the grooming of the parents. Exactly. And like, it was the grooming of the parents, too, to set it up that this is safe. So that when there were some who were old enough, like, that they could drive, they were going to his house, to his basement. Free I mean, treatment in my basement. It's not a van. That's just, right, but it might as well be a van down by the river. I mean, like, it sounds like you know, want some candy, little girl? Like, it really is just a step away from... Uh, yeah, it, it just... Yeah, I mean, it, it just got so bold. And and all these people in positions of power that... I, I'm sorry, they had to know about at least a certain amount of it. Well, yeah. I, and- I, I don't feel like... They couldn't have been completely ignorant. Well, I, and that sort of shows in uh, like the Amanda Thomas showcase where she mm-hmm. got the 22 page report and then the 20 page 23 was left off. Yeah. Page 23 is left off where they're like, this is bad. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. Right. This is how we deal with it. I mean, mm-hmm. that insulation and that ignoring, I mean, that uh, what? That was in the 90s. That was around the time that Tanya Harding, Nancy Kerrigan shit was going on. Was... I think that was, what, 96, 97? Okay. I thought something had happened in 91, but I guess he'd been abusing women and girls for 40 years. So, it's... Well, it, it really seemed like since they had been – it seems like the first allegations were coming out in, like, 96 or 97. Yeah, I – I did remember that uh, somebody told Kathy Clegas in 97. That was one thing that I So I mean so he had already been doing it for a few years at least at that mm-hmm. point. Because by the time he was done at Michigan State um he had already been there like what 20 years. And oh uh from 1997 to 2015 there were 17 complaints filed at just Michigan State about him. Right. Well, right. And those are only what was filed. Right. And how often complaints get filed in this sort of thing. I Mm -hmm. have to mentally extrapolate, extrapolate and theorize because, you know, because it wasn't reported, but the percentage of sex crimes that get reported. Yeah. I... Well, I mean, this is, yeah, yeah, it's just holy shit. And like a third of his victims were after the so-called investigation Mm -hmm. and nothing fucking happened. There's the what U.S. uh, I did write down the 
what the U.S. Olympic Committee, the USOC, is above USA Gymnastics, which is above that Twist Stars gym where right. the guy was like, you're a piece of shit. Go get raped by the doctor in the back. Oh, my God. That Twist Stars gym. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. That guy was just like that was in, tra- that was in charge of all of that. He was abusive in his own right. Which is the way he's dealing with gymnasts, like the again going back to the verbal and emotional abuse, um, and he seems like one like a like a Tanya Harding mom, like give me the hairbrush, I'll beat them myself. They'll become a better like, and what you even heard stories of some like you particularly saw this, I think with some of the Eastern European gymnasts in the like seventies and eighties where you would hear, you've heard stories have, that have come out that they would be like beaten with sticks. Like, okay. If you are, you know, while you're trying to do certain thing, okay, I'm going to beat like right in your, you know, like basically a cane. going to train you like an animal, like an, exactly. like an abused animal. Precisely. Oh. <laughs> Uh, or I'm going to do the, and I, I, they kind of sports stories are filled with people playing through the pain. I, I feel, feel like in that Nadia movie that came out in the early mid eighties, I don't even know when it was, but I remember yeah. there was a movie about her. I think it was called Nadia. I think and it was. I it, do remember seeing that vaguely. <laughs> it does show the only memories I have from that movie is her get it, having an eating disorder and her having either a wrist or an ankle binding that was bleeding because of some injury that she was still going through. But right. it didn't really talk about it. So I mean, in the end of the story, it was like, yay, Bela Karoli and Nadia made everything win. Right. Well... So you mentioned eating disorders. Let's go to that because that is something for many athletes, not just gymnasts. But while we're talking about gymnastics, allegations are things that have come out about the Caroli Ranch in the United States, like Simone Biles and some of the others have, Olympians have spoken that, they would be starved and here they're doing all these things and need a certain amount of sustenance in order to have a certain caloric intake to be able to perform. I'm sorry. You know, you just have to, the that's just how the body works to keep it functioning healthily. And, you know, it's in these, in these girls, would break into the kitchen at night just to steal a cup of yogurt because they were starving, you know, and they were going to pass out. How was someone going to be able to perform whatever feet on the uneven bars or all these things, which are highly dangerous to begin with? And then you're putting them in this state where they can't think clearly because when you're not getting that kind of, again, that caloric intake into your body, you start getting dizzy and you, 
you know, your brain just doesn't function correctly. How can your body function correctly in that setting? But they do, it, they, I mean, that, and they're male athletes too that, you know, have spoken up about eating disorders as well because of the way they've been subjected to things. So it's not, that that's not exclusive to female athletes, I will, you know, will say. I mean, look at somehow, you know, way like boxers and wrestlers, like, oh, to get into this weight class. I wrapped myself in saran wrap and didn't eat for three days. Yeah. Oh, I got to meet this. You know, I got to push that. I got to drop these, you know, however many ounces. Oh, oh, no, I've got to gorge myself with however much, you know, food in X amount of days so I can make the weigh in for my weight classification. You know, it's that's not necessarily healthy either. Yeah, there's some fucked up stuff. I kind of got out of the most structured organized sports in eighth grade. I got injured uh, in a football game and it was like the last or the second to last game of the season. And Mm -hmm. I hyperextended my elbow. And while I was recovering, I got into punk rock and pot. So that was the end of my professional sports career. Speaking of pot, we're going to get to, I did not yeah, I intentionally do that, but I, I, yes, I did that all on purpose, actually, because I think ahead. Sure. Yeah, there were some dick coaches in, uh, you know, baseball, football, soccer before that. A couple of cool ones, but the only ones I really liked were, like, friends' dads. <laughs> <laughs> you know, right, right. Um, but so, yeah, I, I don't have I did know a lot of athletes and I do know a lot of athletes in, in different sports and stuff now. But, yeah, uh, it, of course, it was less bad for me because mm-hmm. I'm not the usual target for that sort of coach. But, yeah, I hyperextended the fuck out of my left elbow and uh, that took a while in a sling to to get back but nobody was like you yeah, fucking play you know it yeah. was okay let's get you to the hospital okay here's the sling don't do anything <laughs> until you're better yeah um, and it did not affect my drumming I am a very fast drummer uh, but that's different and but speaking of pot, to get back yeah. to my transition from the uh, the ramble, it is not an athletically performance enhancing drug. No, and and here's it, but but again, it, but according to the U.S. Anti Doping Agency, it's prohibited. Marijuana is prohibited by the World Anti Doping Agency, <sighs> which was created by the International Olympic Committee. And it's only approved for therapeutic use exemption, okay? And there are very strict rules on that, even if where you partake in it, marijuana is legal, which in the most 
current case with uh, Richardson, she was in Oregon. It was legal there. Where Tanya Harding is from. Portland, yep. What the um, the World like Anti-Doping Agency is like, marijuana is considered a, a health a risk, a performance-enhancing substance, and a violation of, quote, the spirit of the sport, end yeah. quote. Yes, because it helps and you I'm relax. Like, and what? And, I, and I'm sorry, I go back to the Eddie Azard um, stoned Olympics bit. I would love to see an Olympics where they're drug tests to make sure you are fucked up. And <laughs> everybody's got to compete like that. Not like with steroids and all that stuff, but like pot or like hash, like something that's going to make you like totally... <laughs> <laughs> You know, let's see what what you can accomplish in that case. Are you going to stop and just like, no, I just want to hang out, chill, watch some movies and like have some, you know, snacks like, or are you going to go run the hundred meter dash like <laughs> fastest in the fucking world? Like, who knows? It, but it would be, it, um, I'm making fun of this, of course, because. When you're talking about pot, it is not a performance-enhancing substance. No way. And yet, also, athletes can still compete when they're fucking drunk. They're yeah. not testing that. They're not testing blood alcohol limits. So, that's a health risk, too. Didn't the... Canadian team a winter Olympics or two ago have a beer vending machine. <laughs> I don't remember. I, I don't know if I made that up, but I thought like Molson had a beer vending machine for the Canadian uh, team at their hotel or some shit. Nothing more Canadian than that. Right. Except having like maybe, you know, poutine on <laughs> on standby. <laughs> Try to do a triple axel on a gut full of poutine. <laughs> right? Uh, that, that would be like, yeah, performance prohibitive. <laughs> Definitely. But I don't know if we want to do any more talking about Nasser before we go into Olympics in general. Or well, I mean, the is thing he going to keep coming back up as we go? Yes. It'll, it'll probably keep coming back up. I mean, truthfully, and, and I'm sure the doping thing will, will come back to that. But the Nasser thing of, you know, of course he's convicted and stuff. And he, even in the end, he was still trying to fucking manipulate oh, and control the stipulation. And his court, his, the letter that he wrote that he wanted read fully in court and the judge refused. <laughs> Only would she read part of it and she sealed the document hell has no fury vanessa like and i mean but basically turning it into fucking victim blaming in the end and all of after all of those you know girls and many of them now women who came and spoke out like at the sentencing 156 i know came forward 
and it was only initially going to be like what 48 or something or, yeah it's less it was, than 100 I mean, it was, yeah it, well no it wasn't even going to be like over 50 i didn't think oh, okay. and then it just kept growing and growing and growing and like even i remember ali raceman coming in at the last minute saying she wanted to be in court and deliver a statement at the sentencing that was a very that last minute decision Simone Biles, we talked about her. She came out that she didn't speak, I don't think, but she did say that she she was a victim. Yeah, she has spoken out about it, but she did not speak at that in sentencing. Um, I always wondered how, I mean, she's obviously super famous and very good at her sport, but since she's from Columbus, I didn't know how much she got talked about elsewhere. Yeah, well, no, inside the gymnastics world like she's been i mean very obviously with that kind of ability you you're noticed yeah you're very much noticed um on a national and international level and um and i have one friend who is uh like obsessed with gymnastics and so you know and i and i have always kind of followed it to some extent but um you know it, it very much like I know a lot of things from you know from just that I found out from her but um you know Simone Biles part of what came out of this whole thing I mean if anything good came out after that U.S. that the U.S. gymnastics scandal and Nasser scandal you have Simone Biles and and former Olympian uh, Dominic Dawes and some others opening their own gyms to train gymnasts. And they're using an approach where they're trying to make it a place more of encouragement and not just a more a healthier and less abusive, like a non-abusive environment not just sexual abuse, but the emotional and, you know, verbal and physical abuse. And, you know, Dominic Dawes article, I think I, I sent you recently, where she's like, yes, it'd be great to have, you know, Olympians come out of my gym. But first and foremost, I want ha- happy, el- you know, happy athletes. I want happy people. Yeah. I want people who love this sport as much as I do. And I want them to have fun. There's there's a certain amount of truth to that. If you just feel like you're being pushed and pushed, like it just breaks you down. And you are just, at the end of the day, you're just a fucking trained seal. And you're pushed by U.S. gymnastics, um, you know, the NCAA, whatever it is, oh, give us this most, you know, recognition and get these endorsement deals, get the money and all the attention for us and fame for us. And it's all about that. And a lot of it is about making money off of these athletes' hard work. And there have been so many restrictions on athletes and what they can and can't make money off of. And finally you have started to see some of that change um, for these ones who 
aren't professional. The uh, Supreme Court just had a decision about NCAA athletes not long ago. Right. I mean, because it, it, it again, uh, is very abusive when you're pushing someone like that and you're, you expect them to do all of this and everybody thinks, oh no, these people are getting rich, of, rich off of it. And you realize, no, they're not. They're not getting a fucking dime. Yeah. These people it's are not. Awesome. Those people are. Uh-huh. Yes, exactly. And it's like where you have certain, you know, it's certain professional sports leagues where the owners are all white and the players and majority people of color and you're getting rich off of them and their hard work. Well, you know, maybe you don't mean it to be racist, but it certainly looks that way. And it certainly, you know, has these tones of like going back to slavery. (laughs) It's an all too familiar structure in America exactly, and other places, but in America. Yeah. And, and there is definitely a systematic racism. Again, I mentioned it, that you've seen some of it that has taken place in with the Olympics um, that you, you saw in skating and you've seen in gymnastics. I mean, it's very, it, it's definitely been a, a difficult road for athletes in certain sports, uh, athletes of color to, you know, break into certain sports um, because of just because of their skin color. I mean, Definitely gymnastics, um, swimming. I mean, let's come on, let's talk about swimming and the soul cap kind of controversy right now. And that fucking statement where, oh no, they can't use, you know, black athletes can't use that kind of swim cap to cover their hair, fit the natural form of the head. Well, okay, okay phrenology if, people. Right. And also, so by that reasoning, every com- everyone who competes needs to shave all the hair off of their body. Right? I think. I'm sorry. <laughs> Even the white people. If it's going to be like that, it should be if like that. If it's going to be like that. And that's fucking ridiculous. And the way you're saying it and your way you're saying it in response to black athletes. And this is a need... And that is one thing in swimming. Why, again, disport you? It's disproportionately a white sport because they're not encouraged to continue because of things like the the damage that like the chlorine can do to black hair, and and they're also not told they can do this. Um, you know, it's a rare thing to even have black swim coach you know that's a that's rarer than even having you know black competitive swimmers just having a black swim coach you don't see it often and i mean there there's an instance i think i I just sent you the article of the first openly gay caribbean um jamaican uh swimmer you know he didn't end up getting to qualify for this Olympics because of restrictions, because of COVID, he wasn't allowed 
to the access to coaches because of COVID. And here, and you know, it was, he was put into this position partly because of relations between Jamaica and the UK. Some, you know, some different kinds of, uh, colonial <laughs> issues that are still there. Um, you know, and, and again, issues related to the pandemic and, you know, the restrictions that have taken place there. So that was even a kind of, well, that's another sense of discouragement. Here's someone who, you know, not only a black swimmer, but openly, you know, queer, um, in a country that has a, is known for a certain level of homophobic violence. Um, it was highly anticipated, um, that he would be able to compete, you know, and COVID not these athletes fault, but they're being penalized for it. And even having the Olympics themselves this time, this time around, is just controversial, controversial in and of itself, because we're still in a pandemic. Right. Uh, they just announced, I think, yesterday that there will be no spectators. Yeah, I I saw that on um, Friday. Uh, and I know that they were going ahead as if there were going to be before that. Um, yeah, it's weird. I think on Friday they had already had some Olympians test positive for COVID. Oh, the it uh. The hockey season, uh, that was an issue. They did a weird season that just ended, the Stanley Cup. I don't know if you, since the Islanders got knocked out, I didn't know if you kept paying attention. I did. I caught game three. That was in Montreal. Um, I was disappointed that Tampa was, that was three in a row they had won. I assume they won the Stanley Finals. The Stanley Cup. Um. Yeah, Montreal won a game to force yeah. to force the last game, and then yeah. I wanted to see at least that, but I was kind of like, you know, I just Tampa, you know, we should be just being kind of obnoxious because well, Florida can be that way, but a lot of the United States can be that way, and I and I was watching the, I think I I messaged Heather um, from a. Friday Nightmares and Slumber Party Massacre because she's, you know, Canadian and follows hockey. And I, I was like, well, I'm watching this game in Montreal and I'm just kind of laughing at how much Montreal and, you know, the Quebecois are like, fuck the Americans, like booing. <laughs> it was just, it was kind of amusing. And, and like the, the level of obnoxious that you, you know, it was, it was more, it wasn't just, one hockey team against another, the the level of the patriotism or, or national, you know, the nationalism going on there was, uh, was amped up and, and it was kind of fun. It was kind of amusing to me. It'll get ramped up sort of like they, they do with the Olympics and the world championships right. and stuff like that. Right. Right. I was just going to say that. And that is part of what comes along with the Olympics where we are. It's like, and I remember so much, 
I know you're a few years younger than me, but I remember so much growing up in the 70s and 80s and watching the Olympics when it was still, you know, Soviet Union (laughs) and the Cold War. And it was very much the Cold War was this major backdrop of the Olympics. And you had these Eastern European countries who were really putting these the, they were putting using a lot of performance enhancing drugs and they were doing these outrageous kinds of like tests like um like training kind of things and that's where the Carolis, you know came they came they they rose to fame in that environment you know in in Romania before they left um i guess was it 80 81 before they came over to the States and then ended up 84 Olympics. Yay. Training little Mary Lou Renner. I mean, you know, Mary Lou Renton and pushing her to gold. Um, you know, and she was another, another athlete that while petite and small powerhouse, like body, like athletic, like not built like some of the other gymnasts, I will say. You looked at you look at her body. She didn't have the little teeny tiny. Her her entire body wasn't petite and teeny tiny, like a lot of these other gymnasts. She's petite as in height, but she's fucking muscle, solid, and you could sell. You could just tell that it was how she trained and that kind of thing. Which you look at Simone Biles too, you know, petite with her height, but the muscles. Lots of training. Lots of training. But this sense of nationalism and that, you know, I I just remember the old joke, and I know they made fun of it on Saturday Night Live. I remember even into, yeah, in the late 80s, and I think maybe even to the early 90s, where it was like, oh, that the East German judge, that, that point from the East German judge, and the judges... That would, it, you know, it became a political type thing of how they were going to score athletes. And, I, and of course, it still is to some extent, I'm sure. But it doesn't seem to be as extreme as it was. Um, where it really was the Eastern Bloc countries are automatically going to deduct points if you are from... Out, from a country outside of that oh that you know that's going to guarantee a bad you know you know score from the east german judge or the russian or the soviet judge you know whatever it was yeah they've been working on heart on polishing it so the corruption was much better hidden and yeah stuff turned into the the russian doping scandal or I forget which judge it was in that ice dancing competition that was mm-hmm. recorded trying to figure out how they were going to score somebody before they even performed and right um, right stuff like that uh the US gymnastics scandal with I mean all the ways everybody's covering their own ass for mm-hmm. ignoring something so they could push their product and uh, like we were talking about with all the displacement of the 
houseless and the low income people mm-hmm. and sex trafficking and uh, there's Absolutely. a lot of shitty shit to do well, with the, the Olympics. And, yeah, and also, I mean, the domestic um like help kind of like domestic workers or like lower income people that they you that they are that they do hire you know to work these very menial jobs for certain olympic things like at that time and they'll pay them very menial wages um and then once the olympics are gone these people you know are left with you know nothing or whatever but they're not even at that time really compensated fairly for their work you know it's it's like you're not even putting in this kind of coming in and, and setting things up in an ethical environment <laughs> and an ethical work environment and and again i mean i'm talking about i mean like the sex trafficking uh, that goes on that is a genuine issue and we've seen this you know not just once or twice this has gone on for years it's just people haven't talked about it right people people are starting to talk about it me too was helping keep the spotlight on nasser or else that would have disappeared not like the ohio uh, i feel like even the ohio state doctor didn't get that much coverage mm-hmm. right um, and there are the and the coach uh this was more like i don't know oh you mean do you mean michigan state or ohio state well michigan's was there another one at michigan state besides nasser oh there was an Maybe Ohio not. State University okay no 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 you're right there was an ohio state but i w- i just was double checking that you oh. weren't yeah no. okay uh, I, it's it's hard to keep track of all these doctors and coaches that abuse young people. That's what's fucked up. <laughs> it's fucking everywhere. And people are like, oh, no, people are just... No, people aren't just. Uh, it's... People are finally... Feel like so many of the women were saying, it's like, this isn't something I did. This is something that happened to me. And that right. took a lot for, I mean... I, I'll tell you, I cried at least once or twice during that Larry Nasser documentary. So I will say we haven't really gone into too much detail on here. But yeah, brace yourself if you haven't seen it or if you didn't pay much attention or whatever. I mean, this was kind of breaking when all kinds of terrible things were happening and Trump was taking mm-hmm. over and... This this was sort of I mean this was a big story but it got moved on from quickly once it was over. Well, in, it in kinda, general, it kind of did, and I had I hadn't I rewatched the documentary and it, it definitely I I knew about the when everything broke I was definitely following it and I you know I. And I had a coworker at the time who was um, a Michigan State alumni. And she's a huge Allie Raceman fan, too. And so we talked about it. And she's just like, it breaks my heart that that is my school that did that. She's like, I'm really ashamed of them. 
I really am. And she's like, it's disgusting and vile. And and it's true. You want and you and then to rewatch it now also, like after you have a little time and and you see how some things have even, you know, evolved since since that happened. And there have been some some more people who have that even Simone Miles, even though at that point she had already gone on record that it it happened to her. She has spoken more about it since then. Some of the others as well, uh, you know, especially as they've become more comfortable in, and gotten to a space of where they have been able to heal a little bit more emotionally. Yeah, his, his power over them is weakening by his absence. Right. And also. he's been behind bars, you know, for a few years now. And it's just kind of like, and now these, and and like I said, to see the shift and how these, these gyms from these, these gymnasts, these form, you know, Olympian, these Olympic winning gymnasts, they've opened their own gyms now kind of in response to this kind of thing. It, not just to Nasser, but to, again, going back to this kind of, and, and I'm not saying it's only the Carolis, but they're fucking major offenders with that Caroli ranch and that isolation. I just can't get over that. I mean, like, I'm sorry, when you watch the At the Heart of Gold documentary, it's an HBO uh, documentary. And and I will say their documentaries are, they have a pretty good uh, crew um, that they work on. And that division of HBO, they always have, uh, no matter what the subject is. Yeah, it's gut wrenching, and you go through the range of emotions watching that documentary. And I and I was sitting on my couch the other night, and I'm like, I, I I'm living, you know, I'm waking up my cat because I'm like screaming at the TV. <laughs> There's no one here to talk to except the cat, but I'm screaming at the TV about what the. Fuck you, sucking asshole, goddamn son of a bitch! You like <laughs> you yeah. burn in hell. Like, no, fuck you. hell is too good for you. <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, really, it's just. And then you're like, and yeah, and then you're in tears because you just feel it's so. It just takes you on an emotional roller coaster of rage and sadness. But there is a kind of you know at least there is some sort of happy ending to it in their fact of this guy was fucking stopped. This goddamn predator was stopped. <laughs> and that one girl and made him cry. All of these Yeah, and all these other players who were complacent in this situation resigned or were forced to resign. Or, you know, all these other things, like, started facing charges. I mean, like, that kind of thing is like this big ripple effect of, you know, it was much bigger with, like, like, what's his name? Like, Penny. Was it Joe Penny? Oh, yeah. Uh, something Penny. US, U.S. Gymnastics, I think. Yeah. Like, one you... of the higher-ups. Fuck him. Like, there were so many things, like that he knew about just abuse wise in general that 
you know, not just sex abuse wise, but he just, yeah, let's turn our heads. We want, we want to win gold. We want champions. We don't care what the cost. Steve Penny. Steve Penny. Why am I thinking Joe Penny? I don't know where I got the Joe from. There's an actor called Joe Penny. There you go. And I was going to say, it's not that there isn't some good in the Olympics and and that kind of thing. And you can, I mean, it, it is great to, that we can see world-class athletes, you know, who are at the top of their game and they are competing against other, you know, international athletes who are at the top of their game. But there are so many like what's the price for gold you know you you kind of i don't know is it ever perfect i don't know you know to go back to the doping thing um and and how like i mean with richardson the suspension and not being and then not being able to compete in the olympics because she had smoked pot, which, okay, fucked up situation of she finds out from the media that her biological mother is died. You know, I would be upset too. I would need to self-medicate somehow myself. I think a lot of people would. A lot of, you know, there are people who might, I'm going to go get as you know, drink myself into oblivion. Some people might smoke pot, you know? I think, but I think that they they need to reevaluate this on the Olympic thing. And part of what is such bullshit with it is that, I mean, granted, Michael Phelps in 2009 was busted for smoking pot. But... It was post-Olympics. I do realize that. And he did get a certain... He was suspended from competition for three months. And he did lose a Kellogg's endorsement deal. Also, times have changed since 2009. You know what I mean? As far as legalization process of marijuana. So I feel like... Some something like IOC, they need to catch up on that. They need to take it off. Like, they need to, they can't, they shouldn't be classifying it as a performance enhancing substance. I mean, really, that's fucking ridiculous. And when you're still doing that, you know, and then the way that you're treating this, it, it also, it comes along with some other decisions that they're making and other things they're saying, because it's also partly how they're speaking about it. It's there's coded racism in it because these things we are seeing so often where is penalizing athletes of color, particularly female black athletes. And this will go into the next topic I want to bring up that is a controversy. But I want to finish talking about the doping thing that 
um, in the case of Richardson, she's also queer. So, you know, who knows? Just, there might also be some homophobia at play. We, you know, we don't know about that for sure. But there's definitely been some racially coded language in which that these, the IOC and their their body has spoken about Richardson, and you know testing positive for pot. Uh, so that to me is just like, you know, a go fuck yourself. But when it was such the days of the Cold War, um. You know, and you did see a lot of, like, like female athletes, male athletes. But I saw a documentary on, a PBS documentary, and you might be able to still find it, you know, floating around somewhere. I can't remember the name of it. But it was profiling, I, was it? Former East, it might have been former East German um, female athletes who had been subjected to all these performance-enhancing drugs. The damage that it did to them. I mean, how many of them ended up with cancer? You know, sterile. Um, All these different problems after the fact. Yeah, thank you, Zora. Zora Zora agrees. This is just ridiculous that there was such pressure to to compete and everything and putting individuals through that. And obviously there still is that pressure because otherwise we wouldn't still be seeing people showing up with steroids in their system. It's just not like as widespread as it used to be. And while we're still talking about some, some doping kind of stuff, let's look at Ryan Lochte, you know? And then we need to take a break before we go into another topic. Right. I mean, he, he got a, after his whole controversy at the 2016 summer Olympics where he falsely he was drunkenly like like peeing in public and like vandalism and stuff and he he and whatever other athletes made up that story about being robbed and all all this stuff and ends up getting into all kinds of trouble but ended up being able to finish carrying out the games and then after the fact they're like oh no you fucking fabricated this entire thing to try to cover your ass. <laughs> I was joking. You know, it's it basically all of what he had to go through. I mean, like he had to pay fines and all this stuff, like to charity, like Brazilian charities, just to get his passport out back so he could get out of the country. But, you know, he was penalized and all of this kind of thing, like, legally for false, for making false police, you know, police reports and all this stuff, as he should have been. And he didn't lose endorsement deals. But, you know, then here a couple years later, he comes up 
He's doping. 14 month suspension. He's still never his. I mean, I don't think his image is completely recovered, but I think that's more from the incident, the Olympic games of the false police reports and stuff rather than the doping thing. I don't even think I remembered anything about his doping thing. I just remember the stories he made up at the Olympics. Well, and I only bring that up because in when, when I was checking like the details, you know, before this, when I was checking the details of, okay, what was it, you know, some of the details on like, and the, what had the penalties were for that incident, I saw that, oh no, like another like couple years later than the doping thing. I was like, what? I totally, the doping thing was like, and even then he was suspended for that. Such a side note. But he also wasn't getting the kind of like medals and, you know, and that kind of thing of like Michael Phelps or someone like that. Um, he, I mean, but not to say that Lochte didn't have enough you know, he was certainly winning enough in his own right. But, I mean, Michael Phelps is not your normal swimmer. <laughs> very, you know, very few are like that. It's kind of like very few gymnasts are Simone Biles. So. So that, that's a good point to make and a good point to break for a second. And uh, we will be right back. This'll keep it quiet. Oh, hi there. I didn't see you. You caught me cutting a new show. I'm Bo Ransdell, and I'm one of the many creators you can find on Legion Podcasts. I said quiet! My fellow podcasters and I work hard to bring you the best in horror podcasting, but that comes at a cost. What's that like to live deliciously? Not that, but also, yes. No, what I'm getting at is that there are server costs, costs for good microphones and software for editing, all the things that make our shows, you know, fun to listen to. And you can help. If you're enjoying the shows on legionpodcasts.com or in the Legion Network available on iTunes and Stitcher, just about anywhere you can download a podcast, really, you can help us out and get a little something for your trouble at patreon.com forward slash legionpodcasts. For just two bucks a month, you get a pair of movie commentaries exclusive to Patreon, and for five dollars, you can also join us for a monthly screening of a movie. All of that available on patreon.com forward slash legion podcasts. We appreciate it, and thank you for listening. Now, back to the cutting room. And we are back. Don't worry, friends. Uh, we only have a couple more things to talk about. But they are important things that we would be remiss, regretful if we yeah. did not talk about these things. So uh, take it away, Vanessa. Well, I think um, I think uh, one thing we 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 have to mention is the issue of sex verification in sports. Um, this is. This Olympics, again, it's an issue. It's rearing its head, of course, again. But um, this is this is something that 
has been going on essentially since uh, 1950. I mean, it was the International Olympic, or not, sorry, the International Association of Athletics Federation. Uh, they were the first ones to do it. They only do this for female athletes. Let's point this out, okay? So that to me is like a giant fuck you to women, but it's also a big fuck you to trans and intersex people, really, too. Um, because this has evolved into that kind of conversation as well. But the first time this was done in the Olympics was in 1968. And in unfortunately, this has led in some situations athletes to kind of undergo unnecessary surgeries like female genital mutilation or sterilization. And I mean, the, the psychological harm here is, cannot be understated. Uh, but you, you essentially, having female athletes basically, because they were, you know, paraded in front of, I think of always all male judges and just, you know, female athletes completely naked and I, I don't know. I and mean, then it's like I said, it's so fucking misogynistic. And then when you get into, I mean, and then, I mean, and then of course the, and then they're like, they do, they'll do female, then they'll do like the, whatever physical exams and that kind of thing. But when you get into like the chromosome testing, which is what the uh, the IOC introduced during the '68 Summer Games, this is something that really has been a problem for trans and intersex people. Um, if you are a female, as who natu naturally produces a higher level of testosterone, you're penalized in this situation. Do you know what I mean? That's like, and again, it, it's just, that's a place, that comes from a place of transphobia. And we have two athletes this year, and, and a largely, like lately, it seems like these are much more athletes of color that are having these issues. Um, the IOC is basically saying, oh no, you can't compete. And, the, and it's, it's, it's females of color. So there's, you know, then you, so then it gets this extra added level on top of the misogyny and, you know, any transphobia that might be there. Then you're getting the racism on top of it. I'm like, great Olympics, you're starting to, you know, Let's show our real, our, our real colors, <laughs> our true selves. And I know in the United States, there are all these bills being introduced, trying to prevent um, trans high schoolers from competing in sports, as if someone decides, I'm going to be transgender because I want to 
cheat at sports. They think that's good. Like, what? <laughs> like, where is the logic in that? I just, are you fucking kidding me? Considering how people treat trans people, like the public as a whole, like, why would you subject yourself to that kind of, like, why would you make up a lie in order just to try to win a race? Like, that's so preposterous. And it's doing such a disservice and it really, I guess it goes back all the psychological damage that this really does to these athletes. Um, it, you know, something has to change. Something has to change, I think. So hopefully the initiatives in the more professional sports who have more power because they have more money will continue mm -hmm. to trend in that way. You know, there's the you can play movement in in uh, professional hockey. There's... Well, the WNBA, they actually have been much more progressive than some other leagues. Oh, um, I bet. I know they have one player this past season. I think, I think it was this past season who actually transitioned uh, while being, you know, a current player. And so the league was adapting to that, um, you know, transitioning from, you know, female to male. And so then it, you know, then that's us, then that goes in the other direction of, well, you, can't just you know they're you're trying to put down this whole thing and like basically subjecting female athletes to all this stuff but what about the trans men you know what i mean it's like there, it, it's it gets weird like where how are how are these it's these these ioc in other sections verification kinds of um, guidelines that some of these organizations have in place, um, you know, it's not, it, it's just it's penalizing sports across the board. Doesn't matter what your gender is, but they're just most vocal about someone you know, who might be, you know, trying to say, oh, it's a man that's going to try to cheat playing a woman. They can't, they're going to play women's sports and it's not fair to the women or girls. And, you know, you're like, really? Yes. It's, it, yeah, it keeps coming back to the, I don't know why we expect logic in these ridiculous mm -hmm. arguments. Yeah, I know. A rapist will just go into the bathroom. They will not go through the arduous process uh, it, i mean it's it, gotten yeah more there have been advancements made in the medicine of it and everything like that but there are yeah i mean it's just the demonization the phobia the the bigotry the dehumanization that ridiculous fucking assholes need to come up with mm -hmm. so that they don't have to adjust to a world that has always been there yeah. they just haven't had to deal with it 
even though everyone else is too sensitive. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, sorry. Well, and, and there's a documentary, I, I know I mentioned it on VD Clinic when we did our Pride episode, um, is uh, the this documentary called Changing the Game about that chronicles these four trans high school athletes and, you know, a variety of sports. And it's to see the, you know, to see, what, and it's there in the United States and to see what kind of, you know, things that they're facing. And, you know, there's one, um, one of the athletes is he was in uh, Connecticut and they speak to um, the head of the school where she uh, competes like it's cro- it's like a cross-country ski team that this um, girl was competing and the the head of the school was just kind of like why would we you know we don't see why we would ban you know, a trans athlete, um, because if we're going to respect them as a trans student, all these hours of the other hours of the school day, why from those, only those hours while they're at sports practice for the school, they can't, we can't, we are not going to respect them for that time period. And we expect them to turn off a switch and turn something like turn them into something else that makes no sense. That's illogical. And that goes against what we stand for as a, you know, as our, our, just our policies as a whole. And also there are a hell of a lot more trans athletes than you realize. Maybe they're just not open and vocal about it. It's not like this is something new, but, uh, these, this kind of like sex verification type shit in that, that, the chromosome testing, like, uh, that's got to stop. That's really, it's just so antiquated and, and so, uh, and so discriminatory. What, I guess the one last thing that I really wanted to touch on is just athletes and protest in general in like the Olympic forum, (laughs) A long tradition. There's a long tradition of it. um, And we're not just talking about the John Carlos, Tommy Smith, 68 Black Power salute, you know, um, at the games, which that was a fantastic moment. And actually, I highly recommend the John Carlos story, the moment, the sports moment that changed the world, written by John Carlos and uh, Dave Zirin. Um, uh, Dave Zirin actually, he has the Edge of Sports uh, podcast and blog. He also writes for The Nation, but like very much about sports and politics. And he's written about a lot of these issues that we've discussed today. Um, he's written about them at length, but um, he's written books about the history of protest in sports and he has an upcoming one um i think it's gonna come out in september about colin kaepernick and kind of how that 
let in a revived a certain spirit of protest in sports. And so now we're seeing the the latest thing related to the Olympics, where the IOC issues a you know statement of no political statements at the Olympics because they've already had in qualifiers leading up to the Olympics. And again, it's affecting disproportionately athletes of color, athletes of color. And that is what is just so disheartening is that when you have the IOC speak about different issues over the years, and we've kind of brought it up here and there when we've been talking about all these different subjects, these coded racism and sometimes just flat out racism that they've, that they've employed with some of these different policies and some of the ways they've spoken about these things. This is tied to that to some extent. Because I think a lot of, I mean, this latest one definitely seems to be a direct response, I feel, to the strength of Black Lives Matter and, and, and how the sports world has responded to that. Um, particularly, like, look at last year, uh, how some of the, you know, the United States, like professional sports leagues would have their different kind, you know, it, okay, sure. People might take a knee or something before a game or whatever, you know, uh, turn their backs when a national anthem is playing or something. But, you know, sometimes it's been wearing a black armband. You know, I know last year the NBA, many of the teams, not all teams got on board with it, but many of them did, where players could choose from different sociopolitical like statements that could be on the back of their jersey, whether it was Black Lives Matter, uh, literacy, education, you know, kinds of things like that, mental health awareness, you know, some different things like that. That kind of thing is definitely more overt by having that right on your, your jersey, right? But when you're going up to accept your medal or something, and do you choose to kneel, um, turn your back, put your fist in the air, what, you know, with a black glove on, what, while, you know, an anthem is playing to show that, you know, to tr just try to raise some sort of awareness. I, I mean, I really don't feel that athletes should be penalized for that. Well, and that's a... Not, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, and that's a gripe I have with the whole keep politics out of sports argument, other than the sports people that take part in it. have always been political. Exactly. And with the Olympics... It's all about everybody's marching with their country and there's fucking flags everywhere. And they're always talking about nations and 
all this other stuff in professional sports. They start all the games singing the fucking national anthem. Yeah. There's flyovers with military jets. After 9-11, the Pentagon budget for doing things at football stadiums and shit exploded. And they were doing giant flag things and jets. And so there's all, yeah, I mean, there's always well, been fucking, even beyond that. But we'll like, even go to a, a, a baseball game post 9-11 and it, they're not doing it as much as they were for a while. And the seventh inning stretch wasn't just take me out with the ball game. It was God bless America. Why are yeah. we bringing God into this? Why so, are we bringing America into this? I mean, you know what I mean? Like it, yeah. it's, you know what I mean? You've already got the national anthem at the beginning. Um, so, so they've always been there. Just not your kind of politics. Always. It's more often than not. It's the, mm -hmm. It's the type of political shit that people who are complaining about these little, not little gestures, but it's not paid for with millions of dollars. It's acts no. of singular people and right. things like that. It doesn't have the banking behind the other kind of politics and sports. Precisely. And Dave Zirin, actually, one of his first books was called What's My Name Fool? The History of Resistance in Sports. Read that. Go back to, like, fucking Jack Johnson and, like, these boxers. Again, these are people of color that are, that are put, that are, like, dealing with racism in these sports. And they're, you know, and the way they were having to deal with it and they, these gestures that they made, some of them very small gestures, some much, lar much larger, of course. But, you know, by the time you got to, yeah, 68 and those Olympics, um, and, and that time also where you had Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar coming out these professional athletes banding together in a united unit to create a political forum in the sports world. I mean, and that's what you've started seeing in recent years, kind of post Kaepernick, not to say there weren't some other people even before Kaepernick in recent years, but much, many more people since he started that. I I think that that's where the IOC is like, yeah, no, we can't, you know, whatever. And um, I, I know it's they want everybody to be flag waving nationalist and these certain. And again, this goes back to I Tanya. We want this specific image of this athlete to be this way. We want the nice good girl or good boy, right? Who is going to play by the rules, our rules, and the politics that we've set out. Anybody who strays outside that and colors outside the lines, fuck them. The nail that sticks up gets hammered down. I think this, I think we naturally found a sort of conclusion to that episode. I would just like to add. 
being a patriot means questioning your country. Well, and I think that I'm a firm believer in that, and I consider myself a patriotic American in the way that I know part of my rights in this country. I recognize that I have a privilege being and living in this country where I have a certain amount of legal platform. Like I, my rights allow me to speak out and protest politically. I know not all countries have that. You know, there are many places where you can go to a jail or someplace and just disappear forever, never to be found again. Yeah, if you way, protest way worse than Facebook jail, way worse than Facebook jail. We're talking, you just completely disappear and nobody ever hears from you again. Like Kaiser. So say, uh, thank you for your time, Vanessa. Well, thank uh, you for having me. And, and I, I didn't, wouldn't be all doom and gloom because again, there can be some joyful and great things about the Olympics, but we have to recognize there are flaws within the system. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, and it's bringing this conversation up that, and just making the people aware of the situation that I think, you know, and let, come on, let's get that stupid pot thing changed. As It's not a fucking performance enhancing drug. Especially for sprinters. Nope. Uh, maybe if they if they put uh, video games in the Olympics or uh, maybe I know they're talking about having skateboarding, but I don't think it helps you be a better skater. I just did it a lot when I skateboarded. Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. right. Uh, there, uh, there was a snowboarder. I was speaking of uh, Olympians that also got busted for pot afterwards and they got all their gold medals back. Um, so, yeah. Talk about the problems. I know this is going to be coming out around the time of the Olympics. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, we're not being... Uh, it doesn't fucking matter if we were. You can do what you want. But it's not like we're sitting here saying, don't watch the Olympics. We just wanted to talk no. about some of the shit that they don't want people to talk about when you see the flags and the torch mm-hmm. and the merch and the rings and all that other shit. And so... Yeah, who knows? And like I said, I'll, I mean, I, I know I'll still be watching some of it, at least. But I I mean, and again, this time, is it even really a good idea that I know they put it off a year because of the pandemic, but we're still fucking in the pandemic. And we've yeah. already had some Olympic athletes test positive since they've gotten in to- they've arrived in Tokyo. Hopefully... They do it like last season. They decided to finish out the hockey season. So all the teams involved moved into two or three hotels in Canada. And they stayed there until it was all over. And barely well, anybody like, got sick. This like year... The NBA had a bubble, as yeah, they called it. Yeah. Playoff <laughs> bubble. Yep. Uh, so hopefully they do it similarly in Japan. Um, they opened it up a lot more. In the States, especially with hockey, they didn't have live crowds in the Canadian hockey games until Mm -hmm. 
like the last couple games. Right. Uh, but down in Florida, <laughs> of course. Uh, I mean, they had a full arena by the end of it. Right. I'm so, sure. uh, you know, still a handful of people wearing. So, yeah, we'll see. I know whatever, but, but, but we're going to find out. But there's lots of things where people's health are put at risk in numerous ways for our entertainment. And again, I mean, we're talking physical and mental health. Let's, I cannot stress that enough. I cannot stress that enough. That's just what we wanted to talk about and did today. Like, yeah, again, thank you, Vanessa, for taking your time and bringing all that knowledge that you always do. We haven't done a psychosemantic <laughs> specific episode in a while. We will coming up. We will be doing another installment of the joint release of uh, visiting the boys. He uh, convinced me to do more. No, actually, yeah. <laughs> you were jokingly saying that I actually voluntarily on my own went and finished the entire series that has been out so far on Amazon before you even suggested, yeah, what do you think about doing another three episodes? And I'm like, oh yeah, sure. And you're like, oh, have you seen? I said, oh, I finished the series. And you were like, really? <laughs> and I'm like, oh yeah, I have actually. Um, and this time I actually, I'm going to be reading some of the comic. So, so look for that. In both of our Areas, VD Clinic Podcast and Psychosemantic and Legion Podcast Network all can be found in different ways. Yeah. Uh, fuck Larry Nasser and all the fucking Ugh. other enablers. Absolutely. And watch out for creepy coaches and doctors who take their gloves off to touch you. And land that ending. He did what we all must learn to do. You and you and you and you yep. and cover. And then after the Greeks, there were the well, the, the Greeks they invented the Olympics, didn't they? Ah, yes. There was the Battle of Marathon. The Battle of Marathon happened, and then this bloke he ran 26 miles, the length of a marathon, and he said, "We won the Battle of Marathon," and they dropped down dead. Now, if you if you've lost, you could you could ex understand that because the the, the, uh, the the conquering army be after you and they're going to take out that next city, yeah. So you run, run, run. They're coming. Look, oh fucking hell, you know. <laughs> but if you've won, surely you just saunter down. You don't run. <laughs> you get in a car. You get some naked people with you. You take a lot of drugs and hey, we fucking won. Three <laughs> now, and you live forever. Surely. All right, so that's true but not funny. That's what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> but in the Olympics, uh, in the last Olympics in Britain, we didn't do very well. Got no gold medals at all, which pissed me off. But uh, we're setting up a British Olympics where each and every event is a British event, uh, like the British 100 meters. Excuse me, pardon me, excuse me, pardon me, excuse me. I think I was here first. We should win that. And then performance-enhancing drugs are banned at the Olympics. Okay, we can swing with that. But performance-debilitating drugs should not be banned. Smoke a joint and win the 100 meters, and fair play to you. That's pretty damn good. Unless someone's dangling a Mars bar off in the distance, you know. Presses the hell out of me. So I think we should have a stoned Olympics. I think there would be a... We'd like a stoned Olympics. 
if you get ten runners off their faces, it'd be great. Hey, you fuckies. Oh, up there. Oh, what's going on here? The Stone Olympics that starts, uh, where, where people are tested for drugs, they're drugs tested to make sure they have taken it up. <laughs> and if they haven't, they are banned from ever taking part in the Stone Olympics. <laughs> they start off in Athens, where a joint is lit. <laughs> a huge Camberwell carrot, and then they run the three feet to the next athlete. <laughs> Yeah, I've been fucking waiting. We've all bunched up and all the, all the runners have come. Some of them already rolling their own. So there's the fucking lit candles going in all different directions all over Europe until you get to Amsterdam, where the final athlete runs into the stadium and he runs up to that crucible where the eternal flame is lit and he gets in and falls asleep. And then the special opening happens with all the colours and brightly painted children run out having recently eaten hash cookies and fall about laughing and everyone goes, fuck, it's amazing, I've never seen anything like this. And the games are not like the normal Olympics where you get up at six in the morning and train hard and you run a race, but it's more you get up at two in the afternoon, get down the track, a monkey with a gun starts everything, <laughs> takes out one of the competitors just for fun. And then you'd get a slice of pizza and you're off on the hurdles. <laughs> Each event would take about three hours. The high jump with people running up going, you've got to be kidding. Long jump, they run down, they fall into that sandpit. <laughs> Best shape wins. Pole vault, they've got to get that pole and throw it over the bar. Javelin, a very dangerous event. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Nothing personal. Is it a clean break? All right, could, do you want to just, can you run? <laughs> if you run with this over there, I've won, you see. And the final event would be the marathon, the traditional end of the Olympics, where 35 runners from different countries run out of the stadium and are never heard of again. 